0: When you create something that is beautiful and you know it's going to enhance people's well-being, that's really, really exciting. Welcome to the GovCom's podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government
1: communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name is David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me today. We welcome Sonia Irwin. Sonia is currently the Agile Delivery Advisor and Communication and Marketing Executive at the Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment here in Canberra, Australia as well as the Director of Digital Delivery Transformation at her very own communications practice, Redgrass Communications, which also does a lot of change communication. Sonia is an expert communicator with a strong background in communication research, design, facilitation and co-creation. She considers her mission to be the change and enjoys collaborating and inspiring people who are stuck and need to move forward. In her work, she puts the focus on people and assessing their unstated needs, as well as servicing all those sticky points that build up and then sort of create that shared focus, which really helps people to make progress and and move forward. Sonia loves to talk about change, systems thinking, history, megatrends, science fiction and coffee. However, her passion lies in service delivery, with her being an advocate for using human-centred design, behavioural economics and user experience to mitigate change impacts. She's currently based here in Canberra, where she's worked for the past 25 years and studied for the last 25 years here in Canberra, and she joins me in the GovCom's podcast studio, Sonia. Welcome to GovComs. Thank you, David. A great career, a distinguished career. It's been, um, you've seen a lot over, <laughs> over a long period of time, haven't you, in terms of the, the, the change in comms function?
0: Yes, yes. It's definitely been a, um, a potted journey through comms mm. um, and I still love it. It's still the one thing I still love about what
1: I do. It's the people bit though, isn't it? It's really sort of trying to help people to understand, first of all, get to their needs, understand their work environment, understand what it is that they're being asked to do and then sort of working with them on that journey, isn't it?
0: Sure. It's. Um, I think the thing is with the unstated needs, you've got to have a lot of psychological safety in your office. Um, what you'll find is that you'll have what you call your old-timers. People who have been there a long time who tried to take risks early on to fix things and got burnt. And they become your very unhappy people further downstream who weren't listened to. And and they are your perfect case in point of having someone who's got an unstated need and actually is a real asset to the organisation because what they'll do is they'll help you navigate through the pitfalls of
1: your next change event so how do you how do you build that that safety for those people who have been burnt uh, who have seen this before they're the ones who's yeah we're not going to do that we've done that before remember back when we, we did that how do you encourage them to to, to to step into the change to step into that next part of the journey perhaps
0: um, I think it's actually about value them, valuing them as a human being to be honest Um When somebody's been shut down about something that's happened in their past history at work um, and they build up resentment about that, it's usually because they haven't been listened to. And so the first thing I always do is spend a lot of time listening and then, you know, doing that reflective listening, um, going back to them, explaining to them how it sounds to us and then trying to find what's in it for them. I think that's the critical component. Everybody wants to make the world a better place and literally these people have all got great ideas.
1: They're just a little bit blocked. So how do you actually sit down and go through that? When you talk about <laughs> that that talking process, because I think that is, it's, it's at the heart of any sort of high-performing team, any high-performing yeah. group, it's having the people bit right, getting that people bit right. And when you say that you speak to them and trying to understand... Do, do you journey into their who they are and what they like and what their, uh, you know, uh, interests might be away from work to try to, yep. to build that relationship? And how much time does it take <laughs> to build that confidence?
0: Um, look, I think um, it's, it's one of those ones that you have to be willing to invest in and as an org change manager, realistically speaking, it's, it's about getting people onto that journey. I tend to spend an inordinate amount of time listening and very little time solutioning, right. um, and and what that means is that when I do get to the solutions, it's because I've really heard what's going on. It's not just trying to, like people want to move away from being uncomfortable. You know, we want to solve things as quickly as possible. But the art, and this is around also the, you know, behavioural analysis and personas and user-centred design, is staying in the problem space for as long as possible to actually find out what the root
1: cause is. And with that, but could you, can you offer a, a sort of, is there a time? <laughs> like, like, like it's very hard to, I suppose everything is is quite yeah, different, but yeah. is there a sort of a typical cycle that you've seen through many of these projects that you've worked on?
0: Um, look, I think the easiest way to think about it is you've got your introverts and extroverts. And I. I say that in the, not the way to define the world, but at least that's a starting point. Um, Introverts obviously need a lot more time to think through things they need a lot more of a run up before they're asked to come together as a group. So- while you're setting up, say, a group process, a lot more time needs to be spent on the introverts up front, but then a lot more time can be spent on the extroverts in the workshop. And and that's about managing the extroverts so the introverts can actually have a say. Um, people lose voice when they don't have confidence and if you encourage them to get that message right, that's really important. Is there a time limit? Yeah. Well, um, the best I've found is probably within four weeks you can turn okay. people into being quite strong advocates, but you have to make that commitment to the time. And that's an exec's commitment as well. So you really need that SRO, you know, Senior Responsible Officer or SES or, you know, Senior Executive to give you that space to be able to spend the time doing it and then giving them that feedback so they know that you're actually moving forward with people.
1: So apart from giving you the time, which is often... At a premium, sure. you know, problems. You know, ministers' offices are looking for solutions very quickly. What else do you need from those senior responsible officers and senior leaderships in order to be successful in your job?
0: Um, I think it's really important that they actually follow the values that they espouse, so they actually have to behave that way. I really think it's incredibly important to see leaders walking the talk. Um, people look for reasons not to want to change. And one of them is when they see behaviours that don't, aren't congruent, they're not matching up with what they expected or being told. Because we, as communicators, are really good at giving a great message, but we can be let down by the exec at the end of the day if they don't do the follow-through. And people are really quick to judge leadership.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the responsibility of leadership though, isn't it? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Do you have how? Do, what's your sort of technique to to work with leadership in order to give them the the space and the time and the direction and the authority that you need to do your job?
0: I think it's about giving them a range of options in terms of solutions but also giving them quite a few pros and cons. So, you know, a good comms professional will be able to give you the risks and actually what the the options are to mitigate those risks. So it's really having that really frank and fearless conversations. Now, that's not necessarily something a leader likes. You know, they don't necessarily want to be told the bad news. But my feeling is that if you get the bad news early on, you can do a hell of a lot more to fix it.
1: Mm. But when you give them the bad news, you don't just give them the bad news. I'm sure you probably give them the bad news and, as you say, a few things to to fix that bad news or mitigate that risk.
0: And it's also about being... optimistic and opportunistic. Mm. So they're both those things. You can turn around a bit of bad news quite quickly if you really spend the time thinking about it. And I think the risk you run is that the need to react can override common sense Mm. um you know that pause that time and spacing just to give an exec a little bit of an opportunity to think through their response is really
1: important how important is it for you as someone who leads that change comms and is building the trust and confidence with the team how important is it that you are clear about where it is ultimately you think that you you need to get this team to that that end point. How important is it that you begin with a fairly clear picture?
0: Well, I think that's the bit where you do the co-creation about the visions. So if you can get that vision statement and get people to actually be part of that, making that vision very clear um, and engage in also shaping what that vision looks like and, you know, and it's really hard for me as a wordsmith to want to let go of the words but actually it's more powerful if other people own the words and I pull them together into something that reflects a group of people. Mm. Um, a vision can break, basically break through a lot of barriers if it's written the right way.
1: Mm. What's your, what are your tips around visions? How clear should, well, how clear do they need to be? Do they need to be time-bound? Do they need to be quite <laughs> specific? How, what's yeah. your view on, on different types of Vision and, and mission statements.
0: Yeah, look, it's difficult when you are running agile delivery um, because an agile delivery process is quite fast. Whereas if you're looking at like corporate publications and you know big ministerial announcements, you're looking further further down track about something being delivered because that's just the reality of the time of that. Um, what I find is that if you actually think through what your intention is, what's the intent you want to achieve? What is the call to action? I mean, these are good old-fashioned comms tricks, you know. What's the call to action? Do you need to put a time? Well, you know, some would argue that a smart, you know, specific, measurable, what have you. Yep. That should not belong in the vision. A vision needs to be aspirational. It needs to inspire us and pull us to a better state. Mm.
1: But how then, how clear and obviously realistic and authentic does that need to be? You know, is it, does it need to be long? Does it need to be short? Does it need to be to the point? <laughs> yeah. How, how do you, and then how, once you've got that vision, how do you embed it and make it real and make it something that is... Uh, tangible and does actually create that sort of shared sense of purpose and and mission towards that vision.
0: Yeah, so you've just answered your own question. It has to be all those things, which means it has to be short and it has to be sharp. Mm. And I think the, the... the good wordsmith will be able to spend time on that content and turn it into something that really, really is an elevator pitch. You should be able to get there and be able to speak about it uh, when you run into your secretary in the lift. You know, that, that's, that's how good a vision should be. Mm-hmm. Um, now, whether it's smart specific measurable actually you can push that down into your objectives okay and when you're talking about mission mission is actually purpose yeah. so your purpose shouldn't change but maybe your vision statement is about where you want to get to in the future
1: hmm. how then do you translate that and make it resonate in terms of the day to day work that people have yeah. you know how how do you connect the two bits up sure. when you you know this is the bit we want you to this is where we're going to this is the light on the hill But how do I translate that into my day-to-day work so that it's still meaningful for me and it it still motivates me to to behave in the way that you as the change manager are hoping for for them to uh, behave?
0: And I think this is one of the things that um, organisations struggle with a lot is that taking that corporate vision and pulling it all the way around to the individual on the ground. Mm. Um, The way to do it is to scaffold. You, You scaffold your messaging. I mean, this is... Uh, the easiest way to make sure you're building up so you can still see the line of sight the light on the hill but at the same time you need to make it actionable for that team Um, and then you can do that through a range of different processes I mean we in Agile we love team charters so team charters about how we're going to behave to meet the values of this organisation if you take it up another level you've got your goals and you know objectives and your um, OKRs and, and they're things that start to actually put measures around what you're going to achieve. Mm -hmm. If they can see that scaffolding, that line of sight all the way down to where they are to the corporate vision, um, you've done a great job. Mm
1: -hmm. So tell me in in terms of this agile delivery, how is it different to your traditional strategic communication, stakeholder engagement planning process? Is it the fact that you are... Uh, well, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll leave it there. I know I'll, <laughs> no, I'll leave that to you for you to answer. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to know what those what those yeah. differences are. So,
0: I have a little theory. If
1: okay, I'm about to good. Share I like it. theories. Yeah, theories
0: are good. <laughs> uh, what's old is new. Us, um, <laughs> marketing always knows <laughs> that what's old is new. Okay. Um, I have spoken to a few uh, com strategists in other firms, and we do have a little bit of a sight chuckle that. Uh, a comms strategy really is agile. It's really funny that, you know, we have to rebrand and move on. And agile in some ways is a a bit about rebranding the scientific method, a bit about rebranding communications, user research, marketing, product management. These are all things that we naturally do. Um, The only difference would be is that for like if you're running a big program or a project, it's really down to the fact that an agile delivery pace is a hell of a lot faster. You've really got to keep up the comms to the point where you may have changes from an IT product that happens not just once a month but maybe once every week or once every two weeks. And that pace means you need to start getting ahead of the messaging um, the great thing about Agile is they've finally adopted user research uh, in IT. Yay! <laughs> Go team! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and also product management is just so aligned to what we do in marketing. Yeah. So um, they, if you've got those skills and that background, it's really easy to translate into an Agile delivery method. Mm. The trick really is keeping a flexible mindset. Um, And I think one of the things, you know, there's big A Agile and little A Agile and what's all this, the noise and lots of words thrown around to try and confuse the average person um, in Agile. But if you can start to just think about all we're doing is speeding up our delivery, making sure the quality is better and getting a lot more feedback, you've probably got Agile.
1: Right. But you're still all of the same principles of of traditional strategic communications is still there, but you're just doing it in sort of shorter sprints, I suppose. Yeah.
0: So you you set your overarching intent, so your vision statement would actually drive, you know, how are we going to engage with stakeholders? So you build a, a cycle of stakeholder engagement that allows for that user, ongoing user engagement to keep going through. You set up your channels so that you can actually capture the ongoing user engagement all the way through. So you can start to message. You run... Right at the beginning of the program, you set up a um, a bit of a message template. So every time you start to hear a message coming through from that project team, you throw it up onto the board. That way then you've got your messaging starting to line up. And also the bit I love about that is that as a change manager, when the execs see a message that looks bad, they do a lot to change that. And what what that means is you're changing the development of the product. Okay. Because they don't necessarily translate IT speak into business speak. And if you can do that and you can show them what it looks like to the external user... Quite often, they will change how the delivery is done and what they're going to deliver.
1: Okay, so who is giving us that bad news? Where might that that insight be coming from? Is it from a user? Or is it from user testing? Um,
0: it's from user testing, and it's also trying to unpack what the tech, techies, the development teams, are doing. Okay, so it's really important to keep your finger on the pulse. Um, it's not a it's similar to the user engagement where they should be speaking to their users every couple of weeks. You know, we should be talking to users every couple of weeks rather than a big, you know, we can do a big research piece up front but then we need to keep on tap a core group that we can go back and check in on. Mm. Um, That group will give you, oh, I don't like that or I don't like that and you can turn that into a message and then flash it back to the development team. And if the development team go, oh, but, you know, we're also going to do this you're starting to build out a bit of a, a runway of messaging. And and then you have your risk workshops with the exec. So you go, look, this is where it looks today. You know, what levers can we pull? Mm-hmm. Um, that actually fundamentally starts to shift the delivery of the product.
1: Do you see that there is this evolving specialisation for comms and change specifically as it relates to ICT?
0: Um, good question. Look, I think what you'll see is that the ICT world and this Agile is actually starting to influence policy development. So I don't actually see it as a a specialised thing. We still have all the same channels. We still have to do a plan. We still have to think through the messaging, the engagement, the research, all those things aren't any different. I think if you can learn the language of IT, that's probably what helps. You've really got to unpack because they... As with every profession, we all love our own language and what have you. Um, The first thing I always do is set up a glossary um, of terms so that we can actually start to break down that language barrier. You know, language, narration and, you know, just just how we put the story together is really, really critical.
1: Yeah. What do you like about working in (laughs) ICT, Change and Transformation?
0: I like the speed of it. Yeah. I think that to me is um, when you create something that is beautiful and you know it's going to enhance people's well-being. that's really, really exciting. So like a case in point would be with the NDSS. You know, we knew that we were building a product to help diabetes sufferers. I mean, that's a fabulous thing to work on. Yeah. Um, I think where we get a little bit lost as change people is when we get too far into the IT weeds. Um, And that's when they start talking about platforms and systems and that's when my eyes start to glaze (laughs) over.
1: But how do you stay out of that? How do you sort of get out of the quicksand, so to speak? Because I imagine it would be pretty hard that once the. Because it might be a bit hard to sort of understand, well, what, what do I need to know or what don't I yeah. need to know? Where is that line that I should be? Because clearly you have yep. to know something you about do. What, I, what's going on. And I
0: think if anyone throws you up terminology, you should always say, well, I want to translate this back yeah. to English. the public. Yeah. So, you know, to our users. Can you just slow that down for me? Can you just, you know, put a bit of – give me a model. Give me an example. What does that mean? Mm. Um, that's probably been – I mean, I can speak a lot more IT now than I ever could before. Sure. Um, which means I can have quite robust conversations in IT, but it's still trans that translation piece. You know, um, you know. In my dream, when I am retired, I'll write a book on <laughs> how, how to speak how to speak IT because I think that that's something of value. But hopefully. Yeah their language will start to also change to be user-centred the more they use Agile.
1: Now, you are one of the country's experts in the the change space, run a very successful conference convergence for a number of years. Where do you you sort of sit on the sort of comms change piece again? Is it one and the same thing or where's the difference?
0: Um, There are lots of different factors in creating a good change. Uh, comms is one part of that and i do think it's one of the if you can't communicate well even at a team level how are you going to communicate to your end user so comms is a foundational stone in change management but change is just a mix-up, a mash-up of lots of different disciplines. Yeah. You know, it's good to be have a little bit in HR because you need to understand workforce and the impacts on workforce planning and impacts on jobs. It's good to have a little bit around benefits. And benefits and comms are really strongly linked. So if you can articulate what the benefit is, that starts to help your messaging. They're all separate disciplines in themselves. Um, but if you're looking at project management, well, we do that. Comms people do that naturally. Project management—it's just there are just different nuances in that. So it's really easy to translate from comms into change comms. Um, I think that going into a full comms, sorry, full change practitioner, you just need to focus on building a couple of other capabilities.
1: Hmm. So what's your what's your advice to government communicators at the moment as we go through, you know, this period of? digital transformation, accelerated change, where should the change and comms professionals really, or the change comms professionals and comms professionals be adding the most value? Where can they make the most impact at a time when the world's moving faster and, you know, every government department is moving faster and the speed is just lifted and it's not coming back down? You know, yeah. it's, now, it's now moving Pretty quick and it's not going to stop.
0: No, and it it probably won't for quite – I mean, I can't see how it ever will until we get full automation, to be honest. Um, So, first of all, I have to say hats off to all the change comms people out there and comms people out there because I think this has been, as they say, unprecedented times (laughs) where actually our industry's actually really come into its own again. Mm. We sort of got a little bit lost. We were sort of, I don't know, relegated to the back seat for quite some times and Uh, comms as a function kind of lost its, you know, vibe. uh, Well, it did
1: lose its vibe, you know, and then the behavioural economists turned up and they had a new label and they were like, hang on, isn't that us? Don't we do that? Yeah, we do. We, we We actually need to get better at repositioning
0: ourselves. I think... I think we spend so much time repositioning everybody else. <laughs> maybe our profession needs to get up there and, you know, maybe we could rebrand.
1: <laughs> I, I, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. But I do uh, – sorry, I, I interrupted you.
0: No, no, you're all good. It's, it's, um, it's one of those things I think that um, I actually think it comes back down to being resilient. Okay. You know, and at the end of the day, the speed's going to be the speed. We can't change that, yeah. literally. That's the one thing that's out of our control. So it's actually about thinking a little bit smarter about how you do things, knowing when to let go, knowing when to be more res- like Resilience, I think, is the thing that we've had to show the last period of time. And then actually getting some good sleep. I think that's really important. Human, human stuff. The the world's going to keep shifting. So we've just got to make sure we're mindful of where we're at and what we're going through ourselves.
1: Hmm. I have this theory that it is now the single greatest opportunity for the communications profession given uh, the fact that um, uh, the factors of media production and distribution have now been democratised. Every organisation can now communicate whether Mm. it's internally or externally and that much more effectively much more efficiently um there are all of these opportunities and i think that the nature of communications people where they are people people and they are curious i think it's almost time to jump out of your box and sort of get moving and get out in into the organizations and start to try to be the be the ones who are joining up some of the dots and sort of trying to hold organizations together Uh, just through being curious and being out there and trying to add value. So I do think that we really need to rethink the way that comms goes about its work. Not to be seen as that end-of-the-line function, you know, make it look nice for me on the way Mm. out, Um, but really to sort of jump into some of those more, um, you know, policy... development program areas where we can demonstrate some value to be starting people to think about, well, you know, if you can't explain this to anyone, it's going to go nowhere. So how would you advise people to sort of get up that value chain, sort Mm -hmm. of away from the end of the line and sort of to start snaking themselves towards those, you know, those key areas of policy and and program service, you know, regulatory development?
0: I think, and this has been the ongoing challenge for change, sorry, change and comms because both of them. um, I think getting a seat at the table really early is difficult. But if you can spend time crafting narration stories um, and actually showing people what those stories could look like, um, you know, that that in itself is a way to leapfrog forward because everyone wants their story to start well. Yeah. There's never, never you know, once upon a time it was all bad. <laughs> it was once upon a time we had this great idea. <laughs> so we actually need to capture that really early on and get that vision. And I think the way to do it is to get into that vision statement stuff. Yeah. You know, and if, if there was one thing I would say to communicators out there is, if you can get involved in creating the vision early on, even for a small program, most likely they will come back to you and keep pulling you through that entire value stream.
1: How do you get invited though how, what yeah, have you how have you, <laughs> felt, how have you found the best ways to sort of move forward to be to to, to be seen as, yeah. as as a valued contributor to a
0: to a solution. Oh, dare I say networking. Okay. Look, it really comes down to making making friends. Yeah. You know, everybody wants a friend. Like we all want friends. It's At the end of the day, it's a very human need. Yeah. And the more that you can create, go out there and create that network, um, you should be able to go into an organisation. I mean... In Canberra, I have to say though, we have got three degrees of separation, yep. so it's really easy to make friends here. Um, probably not so easier in a bigger city, but there are also your um, industry groups. You know, so you've got. Um, you st- I'm sh- assuming the PRIA is still there, and the yep. Australian Marketing Institute. Yep. Make friends. IABC. That way. IABC is fantastic. Yep. Um, I also think it's going out of your way to introduce yourself to others that are not like you. Okay. Um and. You know set yourself a goal I need to go meet five developers this week or you know I'd like to go and meet this area I usually get the org chart I go through it and then I go well what do I need for my program of work and then I work out well who do I need to talk to seriously make friends with the call centers because they're always at the end point of our comms they're the ones that get the feedback from from stakeholders being unhappy um, the one thing I learned when I was at Clean Energy Regulator is that they're often overlooked and they are the people who need us most to get the right messaging out when they have thousands of people calling them.
1: How do you, because that's, that's a great point in terms of the, um, you know, the iron ore of, of comms really is that, you know, call centre data that, that's sitting there that you can use um, how, what's what's the best way to operationalise those relationships with call centres? You know, do you, you're in contact with them regularly or do you call back every couple of weeks or how, how do you, how have you used that over time to, to be effective?
0: I think what I've done is whenever there's a ministerial announcement, I look at what that is. If we haven't actually already started to plan for what that looks like for delivery, you know, it's really good to get a bit of a walkthrough of what that looks like to get delivered at the end point. Um, it's about talking to your program managers and look, nobody wants to talk to anyone. I do not get it. <laughs> people just don't want to talk together. But your job is to glue, is to glue the system back together again. And if that means that you have to go and meet lots of different people, you know, you should be thinking about, well, actually, I really like this story and I really want to follow it, like a good journalist would do. Follow that. Don't don't accept no. Find them in the lift. Go to the coffee shop. I mean, the the best icebreaker ever is always a coffee.
1: Yeah. And in terms of those stories and storytelling, how do you how do you use your craft of storytelling to to create impact um, in the work that you do? I'm sure that you're telling stories all the time. <laughs> all
0: the time. You know, <laughs> like,
1: and, but there's different stories at different times yeah. in different ways. So how how do you go about using your, the craft of storytelling to ...to deliver effective programs and projects? Uh,
0: look, I, I am such a fan of storytelling and narration. You know, it's just we forget how good a story is... ...and how much people want to hear the next chapter. So, you know, one of the, the things with storytelling... ...is make sure you have a great beginning. You know, it's something that's going to be interesting. What What's the grab? What's the driver? You know, look for the drivers... ...because I think quite often we want to get to the solution... But we forget the why. Why are we here? What are we doing here? Um, then create the story in drips, you know, drip the story through. People can only cope with small bite-sized chunk of information. They, they haven't got time to consume huge sways of content because we're all competing against each other for, yep. for that space. So the story has to be compelling. It has to have an action to it if you want them to do something. It has to give them a... You know, uh, well, I'd love to say a champion, but, you know, sometimes champions are in short supply, but you can find really good people with stories in the organisation that you can uplift a little bit to get people to buy into what you're trying to get across the line. Yeah. Um, it's really, you've just got to be a bit creative. You know, we were all storytellers at heart. Now it's time to put it in practice and show it as a, as a real skill set.
1: And, and about that, that's a interesting you lead and you finish there with skill set because what are you seeing in terms of sort of the emerging need for communicators in terms of that skill set and that toolkit mm. that they've got to sort of bring to the table now to, to have impact, to be valued? What, what sort of skills and is it changing? Um,
0: Definitely changing. Okay. Um, I think we have to... Look, I love content, but there is so much content. You'd appreciate that. Content is king, and getting cut through is really, really hard. Um, So I do think if you've got time to learn some marketing, that's a really, really you know those two skill sets together are very, very strong and communications and marketing, um, advertising. Well, we, as long as you understand the technology behind it and how to create great bite-sized chunks of information, you know, the advertising part's a lot easier these days. We're a lot freer to be able to do that. Um, and there's great software to help you do that. So that that part's a lot more straightforward but then actually choosing the right channels. Mm. You know, where are your users? What are they doing? What's in their day-to-day lives? Um, and that's, I think, even with COVID in Melbourne, we actually saw what happens when you, you know, forget different audience groups. You know, mm. we really need to be mindful of how they're consuming. There, there's always this tension of trying to rein back cost, but then you have to get to the maximum audience groups. Yeah. And, you know, I think we've got a much stronger case these days to go, well, look, but if you forget this group, you know, it, it does have a social-wide impact. Mm. So... It's that, for us as communicators, our own stories of how we add value is probably really, really, really important. Mm. I'm so delighted to see the change in the government landscape. I've never seen so many communications jobs. Yeah. Um, That being said, I think we now, as an industry profession, we need to step up and now rebrand ourselves and reposition a bit.
1: Mm. So in terms of that strategic planning piece that you're really alluding to there in terms of understanding those audiences and being quite thoughtful about knowing where those people are, who they are, what are their needs, where are they spending their time, how do they prefer, what time of the day. There's an enormous amount of strategic planning that needs to go into effective um, communication. Is it a lost art in communication or is it something that is... Adequate at the moment in your views in terms oh. of the competency and capability? Because I would argue that it's not strong. It's not a strong capability in the comms function in government at the moment. I think, we're, yeah. I think people are so busy doing the doing and moving from one to hopping to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next that they just don't have, they don't feel they have the time. And they don't have the skills or if they have the skills, the skills are degraded because they're all always being pushed yeah. and pushed and pushed. That's my theory.
0: No, yeah. I actually have to agree. No, I, okay. think, I think we're so much in the busyness yeah. um, that getting that headspace to be strategic is really, really challenging Um I, but a, however, you know, if you if you keep staying busy, you'll never get anywhere. Like that's that's the reality, and a, and this is where you as a communications professional have to show a bit of leadership, mm-hmm. and actually step yourself out and make the space. Um, find different ways to outsource some work. So for us in um, what we're doing with Department of Agriculture, you know, we're having to think about how we can leverage um, what's going to be our product managers because we can't be on the ground you know, running 15 different products. There's me and somebody else. There's yep. two of us, right? So the strategy is actually around how can we leverage the resources around us to give us the space to do the thinking? Mm-hmm. And then when you get that space, then what is it we need to do next? So that forward planning is probably really, really important. Um, I think the function in itself, yes, ran was run down quite a lot over the last 10 years. It was the thing that... Um, was one of the reasons I stepped out from the public service was because yeah. I felt strategy and comms were not seen as being valuable anymore. I f- feel that that tide is turning. However, that means we have to regrow those skills again.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a big job to be done because, I, as I said before, I think it's only going to get more important, you know, now that we're in this you know, high velocity, high speed, high requirement in terms of getting the content out there. But again, uh, what your previous answer just sort of set something off on me again is another theory is around that capability building around comms, is it increasingly it's going to become everybody's responsibility, not just the comms areas. And the comms areas are going to be those centres of expertise, the strategic directors, but a lot of the work is actually going to have to be done by other people because of the need, um, because there's not, you know, as you say, there's you and one other person on what I know is a very, very, very large project. And, and the requirement for comms around that would be impossible for you to be able yeah. to do it. So yeah. that responsibility from comms areas to build capability into the line areas, you know, a bit like edge computing, you know, pushing your capability to the edges where there is that engagement with stakeholders and, and citizen customers, etc., I think that's something that's coming as well, that it's sort of the comms function is going to be much more spread and dispersed and the the role of the communicators is much more going to be around that leadership piece to make sure that it's all being held together, so to speak, rather than centrally controlled and we do it all and you're going to push it all through that sort of, you know, the eye of a needle.
0: And, and look, I think social media, especially the influencers, you know, if somebody asks me what I do, I'm an influencer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a a government, you know, comms influencer. And Uh and I literally mean that because I think our job is to make it easy for everybody else to share the message. But we need them to share the message because that's more powerful than me saying it, Mm. you know, and and so that distributed communications model, Mm. you know, as long as we're upskilling and we're not being protectionist, we're actually seeing everybody that we bring up, you know, in those comms, basic comm skills, if we see those people as allies, then we actually have our network, we have our, you know, influencer network, and that makes it so much easier.
1: Yes. I'm I'm, I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced of it because I I just can't... Again, as we go faster and faster and faster and faster, I... I think comms is going to get more important, but I just can't see that the investment, they're not going to turn around and go, okay, well, let's put another, you know, 100 people in the comms team. It's sort of a bit like, no, nah, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So where, where are those people and how do we sort of bring them up?
0: And maybe that's the thing. Maybe we take the model of the influencers and go, well, what that's can right. we learn from that? Yeah, exactly. And then how do we deploy that within the organisation?
1: Yeah, I like that idea. That's yeah. a great idea. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you heard
0: it from me first, everybody.
1: <laughs> so listen, where, to, where, where do you see sort of the next 12 months? What are you sort of hoping to um, achieve, you know, not only in your own projects but sort of in terms of the, you know, that wider comms change um, community? What would you like to sort of <gasps> see in terms <laughs> of the influence and uh, evolving role and responsibility?
0: I would love to see us pivot to that influencer model. I really would. I think that has the power behind it. And it actually sets us up really well with the executive and to get that seat at the table. Mm. Um Leaders have a lot of other things on their minds, you know, and I think um, Centrelink slash Human Services slash Service Australia, shout out to you guys out there, (laughs) but, you know, they did actually have with Hank a really strong influencer um, who could actually get that messaging out for the exec. Um, I think that's a model that we could adopt quite easily if we start to skill ourselves up in that um, more... I hate to say personality driven, but it is a kind of little bit personality driven.
1: Well, we have seen the emergence of the of the public servant as the respected, authority, trusted figure through through COVID. Yeah. Um, you know, Dr. Brendan Murphy, etc. Yeah. And I know a lot of departments are starting to think about these, those senior authoritative figures. You know, get them up and get them out there because ninety nine point nine percent of what government does is good. So. <laughs> And, and there are so many brilliant, great stories there that are so often locked up. I think we need to activate these influences to really, you know, start to give people that you know line of sight into the government, into the public service. That mm. says, oh, actually, these, these actually, guys are doing a lot of really, really important work and yeah. great work.
0: And look, I think um, any the people who are behind Dan Andrews comms for just incredible because they managed to keep him on message every single day. Yeah. And you know that that's a that's a Like in Agile, we'll call that a triumvirate of, you know, there's probably the health advisor, there's the comms advisor, and then there's the policy advisor. And in um, IT, we'd have a tech lead and a business person and a change comms UX mashup person. So I think there's a lot of value in building that little triumvirate to make sure we get those messages working well. But we have to want to change. Like we, as an industry group, we have to change. Mm. Um, and I think there's a lot of opportunity and now's the time. Yeah.
1: Excellent. Well, Sonia, I'm inspired. I'm inspired. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's great, I, you know, to talk to someone like you who has that experience, has seen it and can be so optimistic at this time and can actually see, yeah, it's changing. But again, we have to change. We have to move. We have to be curious and we have to want to lead and we want to have to step into this opportunity and let's not miss this opportunity. You know, that's the thing that I worry about is that if we do leave the space, someone's going to take it.
0: Oh, for sure. Look, <laughs> you know, how many other methodologies we've built comms? I just don't know. But, you know so uh, how about yeah. this time?
1: Let's not get robbed. We've yeah, been robbed a exactly, few, you, no. you know.
0: Come on, everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Step forward, okay, yeah, and let, yeah, let's have some it. great stories of people who are, as you say, owning it, pushing it up, running the story running the narrative building the networks and being invited into that front you know that mm. top table yeah. and being and being respected and trusted and you know being looked to for that great advice yeah. you know, to tell and unlock the great stories that uh, Ex- uh, that are out there because there are so many like this is the thing the work that we do obviously we, we spend a lot of time in a lot of different government agencies and I I'm, I'm, ne- I'm it, it amazes me every time I sort of come out thinking wow I didn't know that Hmm. I didn't know that. I didn't know that and I didn't know that. Now, if I don't know that, nobody knows that. So how about we yeah. get better at really pushing it out there? And, and, and
0: joining and it up. Joining it up,
1: exactly. it up is yeah.
0: so critical and getting yeah. that thought sharing and expertise from each other.
1: Yeah. Now, where can people uh, perhaps learn a little bit more about that sort of agile sort of um, framework that you were talking about before, sort of in that comm space?
0: Yeah, look, yeah. Um, uh, well, I've been writing it as I go, so okay. there's not a lot around on it, unfortunately. Have I you got can't...
1: a Have you got a website that people could do uh, publish not content? At the moment,
0: no, but I'm happy to run a conversation on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, look, there's a it's still quite new yeah. in terms of a discipline in yeah. itself, um, similar to Lean Change, which is another one that's change management. But Lean,
1: <laughs> yeah, you know,
0: we've we've actually got to spend a bit of time on this. Um, yep. So I'm not sure whether the IABC is the place to start off with, but mm. I'd love to have conversations with people about it.
1: Okay, yeah, all right. There's a challenge, everyone. Yeah, Let's make obviously. that happen. <laughs> Lots to do. Um, we can always create content that's, around here. Why not? Well, that's why not. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming in. Thank no, you. I so really much. appreciate it, and thank you, audience, for turning up. What a great conversation with a, uh, as I say, one of Australia's best. She knows uh, the public service inside out, back to front. She knows change. And this agile world that uh, Sonia is pioneering I think is going to be of great interest to all of us and I'll take her up on that challenge to let's have some more conversations to tr- try to understand, like let's learn again. You know, I think Sonia's um, encouragement to us all is to change and we do have to change and we d- not be scared by it and not be exhausted by it. I think that's, I think only myself the other day I was thinking, oh my God, you know, I've got to learn about more stuff, you know, but if you're going to stay in the game, we've all got to keep learning and that's what this podcast is all about. And I'm sure you've taken an enormous away, uh, amount away today from uh, listening to Sonia So, thank you, uh, audience, for coming back Uh, once again. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks. But for the moment, it's bye for now.
0: You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.